and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I am your program host. My name is Ray Gerard, and with me in studio, uh, my co-host, Mr. Robert Henniches. Bob, welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to be here, Ray. Absolutely wonderful. So this is the program that asks, you know, if St. Paul were actually alive and walking the earth today, and maybe turned on a TV and saw what's going on in America, and he actually decided to sit down and pen a letter to America, what would he tell us? Well, on this program, we're going to tell you. Now, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you think we're a little bold with that, maybe a little brash, and how would anybody know really what St. Paul would, would say if he were alive today? Well, I think we can have a pretty good guess, simply because I don't think what he thought about things would change. And what he knew at that time was the truth. The things that he knew at that time were all the things that we ever have to know to answer life's questions. And that, those answers that he gave before, that those truths that he spoke about before, um, they don't change. They're the same every time and every place. And so, um, and so we can we can you know give a pretty good guess as to what he would say. Anyways, um, when we do this, we always uh, try to relate it to something that goes that's going on in the world around us today, and say, hey, if St. Paul saw this particular news story, what would he think about it? And you know, with this news particular news story, um, you know what. What ideas, what, what, what parts of it would he think relate to Catholic teaching, uh, what doesn't, you know? And, and so this exercise, we go about this exercise with the idea being, well, you know, to try to, try to help us determine what is, you know, as Catholics today, as we view these events, you know, what should we be thinking about it with the aid of the advice and the um, you know, the wisdom of St. Paul. And so the news story that we've got today <clears throat> that we're going to try to deal with is a funeral. Now, that seems kind of odd. But there was a funeral in New York City uh, for a policeman. There was a funeral just yesterday for a policeman in New York City who was uh, tragically shot and killed. And this particular funeral was a little different. Uh, according to local press reports and national press reports, the streets of New York City, Fifth Avenue, was a sea of blue. That phrase comes up time and time again in the reports that I've looked at. There's just an outpouring, a wave of emotion and sadness that this particular uh, policeman was killed. He was very young. He was 22 years old, just married, married in October to his childhood sweetheart that he met back in grade school. They had their whole life ahead of them. They're both 22 years old, but now they don't. Um, and so, you know, um, that accounts for some of the, the huge outpouring of support. This particular funeral was held uh, in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Cardinal Dolan was there, um, you know, other, and the Mass was con celebrated by a number of other priests. And the interesting thing is that this funeral, well, not the funeral, but there was a wake prior to this that was held in the cathedral. And it was unusual because wakes in the cathedral are reserved for clerics, priests, and um, uh, I don't know exactly, but perhaps other religious as well. But this was the first time 
a layperson was allowed to have a wake in the cathedral since the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in 1968. So there's there's some sense out there that, you know, this this was different, this was special. You know, why is that? What's going on? And so we're going to be talking about this from the perspective of, you know, why um, why this why this event happened? Why this you know man was shot um, so early in life? And you know um, what can we learn from it if we look at it from the angle of a, as I say of the wisdom of Saint Paul? So that's that's what we're going to be about today, Bob. And and Bob, we're going to start this one as we always do with a reading from Saint Paul. And sometimes these readings are exactly the same as what you'll, what you'll see in the Bible. And sometimes we take a little liberty with, with changing the language to uh, make it into something that we think St. Paul would write if he were alive today. When we do that, we tell you exactly the language that we've changed, and we're going to do that again. So this particular reading uh, comes from what he wrote to the Corinthians. And he, he, sa- he told them, and, uh, well, it comes, it's based on a, a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He told them, if someone sees you with your responsibility, refusing to address sin or even excuse and forgive it, may not his conscience too, weak as it is, be built up to commit further offenses to God. Thus, through your knowledge, the weak person is brought to destruction, the brother for whom Christ died. When you sin in this way against your brothers and wound their consciences, weak as they are, you are sinning against Christ. Now, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote about somebody not having responsibility but knowledge, and not somebody refusing to address sin or even excuse and forgive it, but someone who was reclining at table in the temple of an idol, and not to commit further offenses to God, but to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So Paul was talking about the controversy about, you know, what the early Christians could eat. Uh, Could they eat at um, a temple to an idol with maybe a pagan friend? And what he was writing was that if you do that, um, somebody with your knowledge, someone who is awareness of Christ, someone who is a believer, perhaps, uh, in Christ, uh, someone who is either you know, a real Christian or perceived to be a Christian who was associated with Christians, if someone was regarded as a Christian and ate, you know, sat down and, and ate a meal in the temple of an idol with a pagan, would not people take from that that, well, this whole Christian thing, I mean, it's not really that important. I mean, this person doesn't really believe in it all so much, so why should I believe in it all so much? And in a way, the way we've changed the reading, I think relates to what's going on today. Uh, we don't really talk so much about, you know, temples to idols and pagan gods anymore. But what, you know, what Paul's writing about is if you lead other people to turn away from a belief in Christ in whatever way you know, that can be done. And so, you know, if you turn away from Christ, um, I mean, certainly if you lead people into sin, you are turning people away from Christ. Every sin is a turn away from God. Um, So with that in mind, can we apply that or can we learn from it 
in relation to this incident in New York City. Um, you know, the, the social issue that we face today is one where we've got to ask whether or not people are being emboldened to break the law, whether or not there's less respect for the law, whether or not, um, you know, we've got more and more cops being shot every day. Is there a reason for that? Are we losing a sense of something that we valued that we used to have and don't have quite so much? I mean, why is this change taking place? And that's really more of a, a societal question. We're not really, it's not really our job to, you know, deal with particular laws or particular political decisions. There are laws in New York City that have changed the bail laws where people who commit gun violence um, can be let out of jail without bail. Um, you know, there's, uh, there are lots of crimes that aren't prosecuted. Um, shoplifting, for example, San Francisco, New York as well, they don't prosecute shoplifters as long as you keep it under $1,000. So whether those laws, and those laws are meant uh, for good. The people that design those things, they're good-hearted. They have good intentions at heart. I mean, we're gonna we, we presume that of everybody that they always that they always mean well. And certainly, it's you know you can't judge anybody uh, unless you really know them. And no matter how much you really know them, you're never gonna know them as much as as Christ does. You're never not gonna know really what's in their heart. So it's never our place to judge. But I think we can say um, without any reservation, they mean well. So, you know, is is there is there not something, however, that that comes from these actions that might suggest um, that we might we do we might do things differently, if in fact, um, you know, we we understood things as as Saint Paul understood things. Um, and so the question I want to focus on is is not you know these particular laws or policies. Um, not prosecutorial discretion, not bail reform laws, not any of that, but whether or not we have a proper sense of sin, whether we have a proper sense of sin. Do we talk about sin very much anymore these days? Um, if not, you know, you know, if we did, what would our sense of sin be? And if we had a sense of sin, or if we do have a sense of sin, do we have a sense of it as something that is not good to our fellow man, uh, that the, you know certain things we do that are that are wrong because they're just you know wrong from basic natural law, from basic you know human you know good good standards of basic human behavior, or are they wrong because they offend God? You know what's what 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 kind of a place does that kind of thinking still have for us? And so that is really what we're going to be talking about, sin, offenses against God, and our sense of sin. You know, Jesus, on a continual basis, as you read the four Gospels that we have in the Bible, he is constantly saying to those that he helps, go off and sin no more. Jesus' words are consistent every time. He, he heals a leper, and he says, go off and sin no more. A prostitute actually caught, or a woman caught in the act of adultery, and folks want to stone her, want to kill her, and he waits, and everybody eventually walks away, and he says, is there no one here to, to prosecute you, to throw a stone? And she said, no, everyone one is left. 
And Jesus says, then I do not hold your sin against you. I forgive you, but go off and sin no more. Jesus constantly talked about the fact that we should sin no more. It was really important to him because it does offend his father. It does offend him. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us when it happens. It doesn't mean that he's mad at us and going to keep us out of heaven. It means that it hurts him deeply. Every sin hurts him. And he wants us with all of our heart to understand that and try not to sin. We have to be careful, Ray, because each one of us, including myself, sins on a routine basis. I guess I know a few people that don't think they sin anymore, but I know I certainly do. I don't, I don't uh, sin. That, that's good to I, know, Ray. I'm, not... I'm, I'm glad. To... <laughs> that's sensational. But, but most of us do. And the simple fact of repenting to God, to loving God, to understand that you have upset God, that you have disappointed him, but that he loves you anyway and he wants to call you back is the wonder of this entire experience. It is, he is so loving, there is no sin, no sin that we could commit that he would not forgive us for. And, and that's the beauty, that's the wonder, and, and that's what we all have to understand, the wonderful process of reconciliation uh, or confession, as we used to call it, where we actually tell a priest what we've done And the priest gives us absolution, and Christ forgives our sin and allows us still to be with him for the rest of eternity. It's a neat process. It's a healing process, and we've got to not abandon it. We've got to not push it off. We've got to not not talk about it. We've got to talk about it and help get us to the point where we were willing to do so. So if it's a healing process, how often do you hear, or should you hear, somebody say, you know, when they decide, when the, uh, you know, when they decide that they're not going to prosecute shoplifting, um, that it's not doing a fa- the person who does the shoplifting, you're hurting him. When you say a small sin, and I guess you know stealing nine hundred ninety nine dollars of merchandise is, I wouldn't call that a small sin, but you're not helping that person because you're helping them to sin. You're hurting them in the eternal equation of things. Uh, What if that person doesn't go to confession, doesn't confess that? What if he never has repentance in his heart for that? Um, Is his chance at salvation maybe not just maybe harmed or maybe even lost? You know, um, it's meant as an act of kindness. Are we hurting them? I mean... When do you, when do you, is it part of our discussion? Should it be more of a part, and if it is, to, at least to some degree, should it be more of a part of our discussion that this policy helps people to sin? You know, I mean, should we not look at it from that perspective? If we look at everything from the sense of God, the presence of God, and whether or not we're fulfilling the will of God, you know, how can we not look at it from that perspective of what it's doing to that person. Yeah, you may help them because they may have, you know, some food on the table that they wouldn't have otherwise. But, you know, a lot of these shoplifting events occur where people are stealing, you know, high-end items or things they don't need. You know, if you you, know, you, you steal a crate of shampoo, you know, a whole box of shampoo, I mean, I don't know how much shampoo you're going to use, but, I mean, you know, um, it... it, it, it People are doing these things to, to then resell them later. 
so anyways, um, that's, um, that's the question. And it was, it was brought up because perhaps it was brought up, at least to me, it, it seemed um, something that, uh, you know, uh, felt like it needed to be addressed simply because of the passion and the emotion that uh, occurred, you know, in connection with this funeral. Um, you know, the, uh, it's interesting because the homilist at this funeral mass, a man by the name of Father um, Abatiello, Father Robert Abatiello, said, the sting of death is here. Now, he's quoting St. Paul. Um, well, he's referring to uh, a quotation from St. Paul about the sting of death. And what did St. Paul say, the sting of death? Well, the sting of death is sin. And he said, that sting is here. What prompted him to say that? Thousands of police officers gathered from around the country. Um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a heart-rending funeral. There was a woman there, his widow, who gave a, um, who gave a, a eulogy for, for her dead husband. And it was just heart-wrenching. Young lady. A young lady. Um, by the way, this, this officer's casket was draped in white. That was a decision made, I guess, by his fellow officers to signify a kid. I don't know. I mean, they're trying to, a pure kid. I mean, he was, he's 22 years old, um, just, just a, a young kid. So they draped it in white as a symbol of purity. And he wasn't. He was sitting in his car, wasn't he, Ray? I, I, he wasn't. Well, they, going yeah, after anyone. Or well, I, there were some cops in New York City that were shot recently, sitting in their car. This this particular incident was different. Okay. Um, he was answering. He and his partner, another. Oh, young, with domestic dispute. Another yeah. young man was only twenty seven years old. Got a call from a mother, um, who had gotten into a dispute with her forty seven year old uh, son, who was described as a career criminal one of the news reports I read. She'd gotten in a dispute with her son was, and was afraid of her son. And so she called the police, and so they answered. And I don't know if they were in the apartment, but um, they get, maybe they were just simply in the apartment and talking to her, I don't know. But anyways, this son burst out of a, a bedroom and just apparently started shooting. And then after the, uh, and they were not prepared, you know, they were just answering the, the call and, I mean, if he burst out of the bedroom, then that means he wasn't in the bed. You know, he wasn't there to start with, and so, you know, maybe they, you know, weren't suspecting, you know, something terrible. I mean, it was just simply. Well, anyways, um, he burst out, started shooting, and then when they were on the ground, he continued shooting, defenseless officers, execution style. There was a third officer on the scene, who apparently responded with fire. And shot this man, and he died. I think a few days later. So he's he's dead as well, and we pray for his soul as well. Um, but um, you know, he he took the life of this of two uh, young police officers. The other police officer, um, the partner of the man who had his funeral yesterday, a name by the name of Wilbert Mora. Uh, the man yesterday was uh, Jason Rivera. Well, Mr. Mora died as well. Uh, I think he had four or five days in the hospital, and then he succumbed to his injuries, and he died as well. And he was also young. He was only 27. Anyway, so his, his widow gave uh, uh, 
Mr. Rivera's widow gave a moving, very moving uh, eulogy. And she said, and all these things that she said, I mean, you know, were with, you know, her voice breaking, tears, you know, being choked back, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully. She said, I would say good morning to you all. That's how she started. I would say good morning to you all. But in fact, it's the worst morning ever. Our heart's just torn apart. Um, she says, I never thought that her innocent, she was describing the love uh, that she had with her husband. She said, I never thought that her innocent childhood love would lead us to marriage. They, like I said, were childhood sweethearts. She said, October 9th, the day they got married, just you know, barely four months ago, was the happiest day of our lives. They go from, I guess, supreme happiness to now, now to this. She recounted with extreme sadness an argument they had that morning of the day that he died. And they were arguing about something, and he wanted to drive her as they left her apartment, and she insisted on calling an Uber. She wouldn't even let him drive her to where she was going. She said that the reason why she did that was simply because she didn't want to keep arguing. And so uh, she just wanted a little space. She called an Uber. He said, here's the heart-wrenching part. He said, and she referred to him, she, she made these, she kept referring to you. It's as if she was, you know, talking to him. Well, she knows that he could hear what she was saying. She said, you asked me if you were sure that you don't want me to take you home. It might be the last ride I give you. He said that. I said no. And that was probably the biggest mistake I ever made. She said, can you just imagine? No, I can't. She's destroyed with that. <laughs> and then uh, she talks about getting a cell phone alert about two cops shot in Harlem. She texted him. She said her heart sank. She gets one of those cell phone, you know, things. And she said her heart just like, you know, boom. So she texted him. Are you okay? No response. When she texted him, he's probably like lying in an ambulance on his way to the hospital, unable to say anything. She doesn't know this. Um, she describes, you know, the horrific telephone message she got saying she had to go to the hospital. Then she says, when she, you know, she talks about walking through a wave of people and everybody's looking at her and not telling her anything, and it's the worst feeling she ever had. She said she's wanted by people and never felt more alone. And then seeing him in a hospital bed, she said, seeing you in a hospital bed wrapped up in sheets, not hearing me when I was talking to you. I asked you why. I said to you, wake up, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it tough. It's hard for me yeah, to Oh, read. my goodness. <clears throat> the little bit of hope uh, I had that you would come back to life just to say goodbye or say I love you one more time had left. I was lost. I'm still lost, she said. I couldn't believe that you left me. And then she said, I'll love you till the end of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Some pretty good stuff. Um, her heart was just, you know, torn apart, torn apart. And you can only imagine that being the case, Ray. I, I, two young people feeling they've got the whole world in front of them. Nothing but the future to come. They, they might have kids. They might 
changed careers, they might have grandkids, they might have a house together, nothing but but big dreams, right, of what the, what the future can hold, and all of that demolished in a moment, uh, all of it absolutely destroyed in, uh, in a moment. And that's just devastating for her. The, the, her. Her whole life caves in. Everything that she ever dreamed of, being her childhood sweetheart, stopped at that moment. It's like time just stopped for her, and uh, probably almost as if she can't go on. Just brutal. Well, the life that she saw in front of her. Yep. Can you imagine you're getting married, you're 22, you've got mm. a whole life, and you're thinking about what that's going to be like, and now you're left with, and it can never be replaced. I mean, they Mm-mm. were childhood sweethearts. You know, there'll never be another person like him for her. Um, you know, she said, I'm still in this nightmare that I wish I never had, full of rage and anger, hurt and sad, torn, she said. I mean, she, she just... Brutal. Yeah, torn apart. And then she said something else, talking about the, the legal system. She said, the system continues to fail us. We are not safe anymore, not even the members of the service, the police department. Um, she pointed that out. And I think a lot of people, you know, this wave of support, all these people that came to this funeral, these thousands of people that filled Fifth Avenue. I think there's, I think she's touching on something in the sense that they have. Something's broken, something's wrong. And so the question I've got is, um, you know, uh, is this just a cop shooting? Um, you know, or, you know, is it, I mean, do people have the sense that, you know, it's, it's getting easier to do these things? Uh, and if so, why? And the, the question then is, are we losing our sense of sin, of the horror of sin? Little sins are important. Big sins, incredibly important. Um, any sin is important. Are we losing our sin? I mean, is a cop shooting wrong because you shot a cop? Or is a cop shooting wrong because it's a horrible offense against God. You're taking away the life of somebody created by God. When there's uh, when there's a shooting and a, uh, you know and death in Chicago of somebody on the South Side, uh, a person of color, you've got that that reverend who's been on that rooftop in Chicago for for months now trying to protest the violence in Chicago. You know when there's a shooting in Chicago. Someone who's not a police officer, do we care? Are there so many of them that it's hard, it's hard to get concerned about them anymore? I mean, the numbers out of Chicago, how many shootings, shootings, you know, every, every weekend, you know, it's like, well, if they're 30 this week or 50 this weekend, you know. Um, are we losing our sense of the fact that this offends God? You know, if we're dealing with it just simply on the level of shootings are bad, People get hurt, and so we, you know, we need to stop it. Or are we dealing with it in the sense of these are sins against God? When you sin against people, you sin against God. That puts it on a whole nother plane. That's a whole nother ball game. And um, the question then is more of a 
I guess a philosophical one, can we have a proper sense of, you know, avoiding bad acts, bad actions without God? Do we need to bring God into the equation? Must he always be in the equation? Can we just, you know, as a society, even if we don't talk about God, you know, I mean, you know, if, uh, if people aren't comfortable when other people talk about God, well, can't we just build a society where we just, you know, avoid, you know, bad actions um, and, and, and things that hurt other people, you know, particularly shootings, um, if we don't have God in the equation? Or if we keep God out of the equation, are we doomed to fail? And the answer is yes. Absolutely, Ray. If you, if you think for a second why someone avoids doing wrong, the first reason, and I certainly hope for myself that this is the case, the first reason I shouldn't do something wrong is because it offends God. That should be in my heart and in my soul and in my mind, knowing that at every moment what I should be doing is pleasing God with my actions, with my words, with everything I have, and I should be pleasing God. If someone doesn't have that, if they don't have that sense of who God is and how wonderful he is and that he actually came to earth and he himself humbled himself, came to earth, and then died a horrific death on the cross to save us. If we don't have any of that, hopefully we have a set of parents that tell us what's right or wrong. Don't steal that food. Don't hit that brother or sister. And they try to teach us right from wrong. A huge step back take God out of the equation, and you're left with hopefully your parents telling you how to do what's right and wrong because of our nation and our laws and the rules we play by. And if you don't listen to your parents, all you have left are the laws of the United States that say, don't do this or that. To me, when you lose that first piece, you lose the whole purpose and the reason and everything else that has to do with doing what's right. Now it's a matter of, is your hand tied or locked or whatever, or you kept away from the bad thing, as opposed to each of us with our whole soul realizing that it is wrong to injure others, and that is not what God wants for us. God wants us to love one another, to take care of one another, to look what's wrong with one another and be there for them. And every sin is wrong. We should feel that it hurts us in our heart and soul. It should say, I don't want to do this again, and we want to go and get that removed from us and make the realization that we're going to try better to do a better job at not offending God. Take that out of the equation, and you've simply got two sides of a war going on. You don't have love and concern. Yeah, I think that's right. You've got a, you've got a war going on. You've got an inner war, an internal war going on in the minds of people uh, without a guiding star, without somebody above um, that establishes, you know, the, the rules. And there are rules. I mean, there are objective rules of right and wrong because there is a God and he happens to be a loving God. And so if we get away from those, can we succeed without, without him, without his help? There's a, an article I found um, uh, on Catholic Answers. I went out to catholicanswers.com and there's an article on sin. I like the article on sin. It was actually... Um, a reproduction of an entry, um, and what they what they posted on their website was an unabridged uh, excerpt 
from the original Catholic Encyclopedia published between 1907 and 1912. And it had a lengthy discussion on sin. And it talked, for example, about pantheistic systems. You know, you you know, a number of gods. I mean, you know, the reading from St. Paul that we altered today talked about paying homage to idols. Um, and so if you have a pantheistic system where you've got a lot of, a lot of different gods, a lot of different idols, you know, and you don't have the, the one god to look up to, um, is that, you know, is that one that runs, a, you know, runs into trouble when you've got, you know, the, the Catholic teachings on, on sin and what it means and so forth. And uh, this excerpt from the Encyclopedia, Catholic Encyclopedia said, pantheistic systems which deny the distinction between God and his creation. I mean, because these, you know, these, these guys, these, they're, they're semi-human, they're semi-gods, you know, um, makes sin impossible. Makes sin impossible. If man and God are one, man is not responsible to anyone for his acts. Morality is destroyed. Now, that's a pretty absolute statement. And you can relate that to what goes on today because, you know, because, you know, we've got multiple people in our society. You've got the entire New York legislature deciding that, you know, people who are guilty of gun violence should not be in jail, uh, at least for a certain period of time until their trial. Um You've got, you know, you know, DAs around the country who say, well, we're not going to prosecute, you know, shoplifting. We're not going to, even though these things are wrong. Um, so there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, saying essentially what is right and wrong. Or are they at least contributing to a notion that people may believe that they're saying, you know, um, certain things are not, are not necessarily all that wrong? Are you not, in that sense playing God? Are you not, in that sense, um, saying we get to decide, you know, what's what's right and wrong? Uh, we're going to execute prosecutorial discretion. We're not going to, uh, you know, there are certain things that are wrong, but we're not going to prosecute them. Is that not, in some sense, leading people to believe, well, then they're okay? Well, then they're right. Are they, you know, um, are they saying that, that these things are not really all that wrong, or at least leading people to believe that? I mean, that's playing God. Um, in a way, that's playing God. So are we, and this is something that's been going on for hundreds of years. You can take it back to, and Immanuel Kant's not the only one, but you can take it back to Immanuel Kant. You talked about duty for duty's sake. You know, we can uh, regulate human behavior if people just have a sense of duty, the duty that they have to other people, the duty they, they have you know, to other people in a civilized society, their civic duties, duty for duty's sake was a hallmark phrase of his. You know, and he talked about the, the categorical imperative that you know, people just would have a conscience and they'd have just some conscious understanding of what was right and wrong. We all would have this universal ideal of of right, what is right and wrong. And we know that these things are just simply imperatives, obligations on us, simply by the category of the activity that they were in. Certain things are wrong just because they're in this category of being wrong. Murder is in a category of what is wrong. And we all simply know these things. And so we tried to, you know, create a system 
and or defend a system of thinking whereby, you know, offending God or sin, morality, you know, the fact that God would not be pleased, that didn't enter into it. Um, and certainly you see this in a lot of other forms, the same kind of thinking in a lot of other forms, socialistic notions, uh, secular notions of, you know, we can decide ourselves. Uh, atheists, you know, uh, say, well, we can build a system of morality all on our own without the help of God, without the need for God to be considered. And Richard Dawkins, of course, famous, uh, maybe the most you know, famous atheist in the world, uh, Cambridge professor, scholar, intellectual, uh, most ardent supporter or most ardent opponent of religion, uh, a couple of years ago said, you know, maybe we need God. I mean, this is just a startling admission on his part because for years and years and years, he had been an extreme opponent of anything like this. But he said, you know, maybe we need God just, you know, to keep people, you know, uh, fearful so that they, you know, don't commit wrongs. Um, even though there really isn't a God, maybe we'll just set him up as a straw man so that people at least have a fear of him uh, so that they'll, you know, not commit these these wrongs. I mean, a startling admission that we can't do it without God, even if he's a fake God. That's apparently as far as Dawkins could go with it, but okay. Um, if, you know, but, you know, so, and you've got a lot of systems that believe this, a lot of people who believe this, who believe we don't need God in this equation. Um, you know, whether whether you're a socialist or whether or not you're maybe a, a Christian who thinks, well, you have a Christianity and uh, politics, you know, and 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 civil laws, you know, uh, you know, questions of what legislature should do. They, they don't go together at all. Um, and we can divide, you know, design laws without really talking about God. I mean, can we do that? And, you know, I like I said, we're not you know, trying to decide any particular questions uh, of that sort of thing. But just uh, but the one question that we do need to decide, and I think we should decide, is can we get by without God? Can we get by without a sense of offending God? Now, when you talk about offending God, yeah, I, let's, let's put it this way. If you had a sense of sin, every sin, all sins, small sins, big sins, uh, a few sins, many sins, if you had a sense of sin as offending God, and I can relate this to myself. I mean, uh, okay, I'll, I'll admit, contrary to what I said before, I, I, I still sin. I, I know that comes as a shock to you, Bob. But it scares me to death, <laughs> honestly, Ray. <yeah. laughs> but but um, do I really have a sense, you know, when I do sin, of how God, looking at it, um, feels about it, thinks about it. Do I really have a sense of of that? Um, and I would say no, I, not near as much as I should. There's a woman, uh, Alexandrina da Costa, mystic, visionary, um, blessed Alexandrina. I'm, I believe she uh, declared blessed by the church. Um, lived on the Eucharist alone for 13 years, mm -hmm. um, was one time spent 40 days in a hospital under people trying to disprove that she could live on the Eucharist alone and 
Uh, she survived. They originally were going to put her in for 30, but they failed after 30, so they wanted to stick her in. They kept her in for another 10. Uh, no loss of weight, um, no changes in blood pressure, you know, no mental, you know, no no swings of passion or anything. I mean, I mean, she was fine on the Eucharist. Now, you know, you try that, and you might. I mean, anybody uh, without the assistance of God doing that would starve to death. It would simply starve to death. Uh, the body needs more uh, from a physical, biological point of view than just, you know, a simple, you know, uh, wafer made out of wheat. Uh, what is that, half an ounce, whatever it is, you know, once a day. I mean, you, you would starve to death. Um, she experienced the passion on Friday afternoons, uh, starting at 3 o'clock, I think uh, for 180 weeks in a row. Um, and, you know, she would be writhing on the floor and two 200-pound men would try to pick up this 80, 85, 88-pound woman and couldn't do it. Um, lots of things like that in her life. I mean, story, I mean, there's a lot more, to, not, not lots of things like that, but lots more to say about those things in her life, but we're giving you the very, very, very abridged version. Anyways, um, you know, her reaction to all this after suffering the passion uh, suffering through the passion, feeling the you know, the pain that Christ felt, you know, when he went through what he his sacrifice. A reaction to that was this a dramatic plea. I remember reading the words that she said: "Just stop sinning." There was a horror of sin that she had, um, and so she must have had some sense from being so close to to Christ that. Well, I don't have. Um, and that's why I, but I can say for certainty that I should have. I should have more of it. Um, you know, it's it's this it's this sense of offending God. And now, when you think about offending God, um, that uh, that that brings up a question for a lot of people. There's uh, one gentleman who posted, made a posting on Reddit um, and had this question in mind. He said, I have pulled back from atheism and have felt the Holy Spirit in my life. I am going to confession after many decades without. Pretty much anything that you have read on this subreddit about confession pales in comparison to what I have to confess. Perhaps this is simple and obvious, but I am wondering how my sins could offend God. One thing I know for sure, from my own experience, as St. Augustine teaches, my sins created my own hell. And they were a supreme waste of time, and they hurt people. But these are pragmatic truths, not spiritual ones. I, I detest my sins because they hurt others, because they misdirected my life toward meaningless goals. But beyond pragmatic considerations, what have I done to God? I think of my role as a parent when my kids do something wrong. It does not offend me. It really angers me. It exasperates me sometimes. So I wonder, based on my humanly parental experiences, what is God thinking when a human sins? I need a thorough, great confession that destroys all distance between my soul and God. But I need help focusing on what exactly have I done to God? So here's a person 
probably feels the faith a lot stronger than a lot of us others because he went from, you know, being without to all of a sudden now it, it sort of fills his heart and mind and soul. But he's asking, <laughs> offend God? Um, God does not suffer. God is immutable. God is good. God, you know, God does not suffer because of our sins. So what does we mean when we say that we offend God? Is he upset with us? Is he mad at us? What? What? Well, I think, you know, I mean, all you have to do is consider three things. Um, creation, the crucifixion, and coming again. Um, God created us out of nothing. This, the, this Catholic Encyclopedia talks about that. Um, he gives us the supreme gift. We are nothing. We were nothing. Nothingness, that's what we were until God created us. He called us out of nothing. So then what do we do with that unbelievable gift? I mean, you cannot conceive, you cannot comprehend, you cannot imagine the magnitude of that gift. We're nothing in the full, absolute sense of nothingness. And then we are. We come to be. We are We are who we are. I mean, all of a sudden, there's a we. There's an us. There's a me. There's a you. What a gift. An unbelievably immense gift. What do we do with it? If you give a gift to somebody and they don't even say thank you, what do you feel? Well, supposing you give, supposing you save somebody's life and they don't say thank you. Supposing you give that person their life, something you can't do. I mean, what would God feel? God who loves beyond all of our capacity to imagine love. I mean, he loves with a love that we can't, we can't even ever possibly hope to fathom. There's a reading from St. Paul where he talks about uh, he talks about love and where you know if I have all if I do all these things if I'm this great you know but I don't have love then I am nothing you know and uh, um, you know he talks about you know that, that, you know this this incredible love you know that that God has for us um, you know uh, what would do you know you know and he talks about the fact that. Hey, I can't see things clearly now. We only see things partially. We prophesy partially. We know partially. But then, later, when we come face to face with God, then He says, uh, "I will, you know, I will know fully, as I am fully known." So maybe we'll understand, you know, the depth of God's love at that point. And until then, we can't we can't begin to fathom it. But I do think, Ray, we can, and I, I really believe this is the case, at least for myself, as I get closer to God, I see his love more clearly. As I separate myself from God with my sin, yeah. I don't see him as clearly. Yeah. In fact, I see the next opportunity to sin <laughs> more clearly, yeah. right? Yeah. And we are, what sin does is it takes us away from God. I think you've said that brilliantly. It takes us away from God, and we have a greater propensity to separate ourselves 
after already sinning. And so God wants us to not, not only not sin, but not to accept sin, not to love sin, not to pursue sin, because that means we are going to separate ourselves from him. And this is a spectrum. You just, the further you, you further you go, and all of us have experienced that. We, as a little kid, get away with stealing a, a, a piece of bubble gum from the, from the store, and then you think, ooh, I got bubble gum. What can I get next? I can get a candy bar, or I can get money. Or... And then you realize that God said, don't do that. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't separate yourself from God. And you realize it was wrong to steal that bit of bubble gum. I, we, God is, is not mad at us. He doesn't hate us. He doesn't dislike us. He wants us, and he wants to call us back, and he puts his love out there, and we reject it by sinning. We separate ourselves from him, and it is a horrible thing that it works that way, but we have got to figure out how to come back to him, how to love him, how to turn to him in reconciliation. The, the act of contrition is a beautiful thing that we say, which is we have separated ourselves from God with this sin, and we don't want to sin anymore. We want to get back to him. Yeah, um, yeah, you're, you're abs- absolutely right. Um, you know, that's when you have a sense of, of sin and you realize that you've put yourself apart and then you want to get back. There's nothing wrong than feeling apart uh, from him. Um, so how would, how would God feel? Uh, what does God think about giving somebody this supreme gift of creation and then that person, you know, not appreciating it? Um, by sinning. Um, what about the crucifixion? I think, you know, this account that we've related about Blessed Alexandrina de Costa tells you that, you know, if you ponder the crucifixion, if you meditate on the crucifixion, if you experience or live, <laughs> live the, have any sense of the, the pain that Christ suffered during the crucifixion, you know, this, this person who is God, uh, who became man, humiliated himself, and then suffered such excruciating pain for us, um, and then for the forgiveness of our sins, and then we sin without regard for him. We, you know, we we disrespect the crucifixion. We disrespect that sacrifice. What do you think I would feel about after having given, and given, and given so? greatly to suffer so badly and then we don't care about it um me what, i'd be what mad about, what that's, about, that's, <laughs> that's that's not god luckily i'd about, be mad but he doesn't he loves us what about the coming again yeah. okay so there's the chance for eternal salvation do we really understand that our sin puts that in jeopardy the catholic encyclopedia talked about what they called a salutary a salutary fear a salutary fear. It's a good fear. Um, if we fear for our soul, for our, you know, for our eternal salvation, then that brings us back to that horror of sin. Um, maybe we sin less. Maybe we appreciate God more. That's a you get closer to God. That's that's a good thing. And in the same breath, the Catholic Encyclopedia talked about a man that would men and women would then have a fear of his or her own powers. Now that's an interesting concept. All of this relates to self-love. This idea, 
you know, the elevation of ourself, which goes back to the original sin. That was the sin of pride. That was Adam. That was Eve. You know, this idea that we can get by without God in the equation, it goes back to that. It's a self, it's, it's, what's, it's what I've, I've read some author talked about is not an authentic self-love because an authentic self-love uh, is one that brings you closer to God. You appreciate, you love, you love yourself. You love the gift of create. You love the gift of being created out of nothing that God gave you. You love the gift that he gave you. I mean, you have value because you were created in the image of God. Loving yourself for that reason is a blessed love. If you love the fact that you have salvation through Christ, that God gave you this gift of his sacrifice and that you are the beneficiary of that. You've got this. He loved you so much. He gave you. You have such value because he did that for you. He valued you so much that he gave you the, that. You know, if you value, you know, that is real self-love. If you think about salvation with God in heaven forever, that he as St. Paul writes, otherwise, destined us for adoption. Um, he wants us to be part of his family. God does. That guy, God does. What value you have, that's a healthy kind of self-love. But if you turn away from God because you are loving, you know, what I can do for myself, what I can decide, um, you, know, uh, you know, to be, whether or not it's contrary to God's will or not, um, if I decide I want something and I'm going to do what I can to get it even though it's sinful, um, you know, that's not an authentic self-love. That's a destructive. You may think you're, you're helping yourself. It's, it's, it's the pride. It's the elevation of us away from, you know, we think we're, you know, this big person, this big thing. It's the same as Adam and Eve. It's the very same thing. And so if St. Paul were going to tell us something today, would he tell us, hey, that sin of, that sin of pride, um, that just is destructive? Well, I have no doubt that he would tell us that. These truths do not change. And so perhaps we need to think more uh, when considering these social questions about sin and about God and how these relate to our relationship with God. Anyways, that's our, that's our program for today, a program about a fallen hero, a New York police officer who is not a fallen hero in the sense that he fell uh, into disrepute, but the fall of a hero who died, to inspire, died in a way that inspires others. Um, that's a true hero in the way that he fell. Jason Rivera, a fallen hero. Anyways, uh, that's a program. We're going to close this program like we always do with with a prayer. And so we'd ask uh, we'd ask Bob, who is very close uh, to being a uh, to being a full fledged deacon. We're going to ask Bob to lead us in that prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the world you set up. You set it up perfectly. We spend our life trying to wonder why this happens or why that happens. It's because you set it up that way. You love us. You want us to follow you, to be with you. Allow us truly always to know that we want to put sin away from us. We want to grow closer to you, and we want to be with you every moment of every day. 
allow us to strive to not sin, and if we do, to go to our priest, to confess our sins, to get reconciliation, and allow us to get away from that separation that we've put between you and us, and allow us to get closer and to love you, always looking forward to attaining life in eternity with you and your Son and your Holy Spirit that you sent to the earth to take care of us and protect us. Allow us to truly know that that is what we should be doing and following you in every way that we can. We pray all this in the name of that wonderful Savior that came to die for us, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.